0: Beautiful. My soul, my soul, my sin. My soul, my soul, my sin. My soul, my soul, my sin. Beautiful. Holy, holy God almighty Was and is to come God of glory You're so worthy All the saints bow down Holy, holy God almighty Was and is to come God of glory, you're so worthy, all the saints bow down. Holy is your name in all the earth, righteous are your ways so merciful. Everything you've done is just that true,
1: holy
0: oh, secret, in the quiet place In the stillness you, you're there In the secret, in the quiet hour I wait only for you cause I want to know I want to know you more Come on let's sing to God. I wanna know you. I want to know you. I want Heart this morning, God, to know you more, to be in such a deep personal relationship with you, Lord God, that there's no questioning who we belong to. Jesus, take my life and lead me on Lord, you have my heart And I will search for yours. Let me be to you a sacrifice
2: it's just involved to remember and they teach the kids to give half to someone else. It's, you know what? We need to give something to someone else right now. People are, people are having a hard time. Neighbors, their friends are having a hard time. They also invited them into their house and share what they had with them. Somebody that was less fortunate. And, and I am praying that God would impart unto you what you're supposed to do. And, and, because when we hear from heaven what we're supposed to do, we do it with a, a spontaneous zeal. Mm-hmm. You know, if I was scared to say, I think you need to fast, you, know, you might say, oh.
1: God,
2: all you <laughs> uh, but God has been saying you need to fast. Amen. And there's some that he's already told that to. And I, and I take the similarity. I believe that the enemy has tried to take out some of the people of God. Yes. And how many can say, I know that? I know that. Okay? Well, now's the time to Christ. Yeah. And not only is he trying to take out you by something, but he's been trying to take out others by something. And God wants to do something. God well, says, I want to do something now. Yes. He even told me what to wear this morning. And these are traveling clothes. These travel. They want them to little tiny space. They also look like you're going to
1: move clothes. <laughs> and I thought,
2: is this important? I felt like the Lord said, it's important. I'm one of those crazy intercessors that believe like, <laughs> And I believe he's saying, he wants us to get ready, not just to move, because, Mark, I love you. I love you. I love ministry with you. But God has something on for you.
0: Amen. Amen. He's got something on for you. Right. And God, if your heart
2: is breaking about i need for him, that door to open, That's
0: because that right. want to expand him. Amen. Amen. And I thank you for all you thank
2: And as a church God wants to do something. And I believe we could miss this opportunity or we could get him sick. And I believe if we pray and we seek His heart, you know, fasting is to God. Denying ourselves food it's about meeting with His presence and being transformed, where the things that carry to this world disappear. And all you want is Him. And you know, all you want is His. But he's, He wants. Amen. We talked to the children this week that we need to have a we need to gather and pray for the sick. So I believe we're going to call nice we're going to gather and pray for the sick. We're going to, we're going to gather and lay hands on the sick. Right. And I don't care if you're sick if you're called to lay hands on people, it doesn't matter. But <laughs> we need to do what he's saying to do. There are people that are hurting and need the life of the body on us. And reminded of another king in the New Testament. Who said, after this erotic dance, and dance for his dog. You know what she wanted? She wanted the head of the prophet. She wanted the head of the prophet. She wanted the head of the prophet. She wanted the head of the one. I thought it was for last year. and somebody else was going to torch. But he also gave me a dream in the middle of the night where I passed some that anointing on to another generation.
1: That's
2: that's how so much of in the last 24 hours But but I believe that we're in a season to move with God, and the temptation allow things of the last season to bog us down is very real. That's, right. That's,
1: right. That's right.
2: That's right. When Mordecai came to Esther and told her that she needed to go before the king, and she hadn't been in front of the king for a while, <laughs> and she said, "I might perish." Mordecai are to all the saints around to fast, to, to repent. You know, the thing we think repent is is some of this emotional breakdown where we come and cry at the altar of God, and you know, it simply means I'm not going to do that. Anymore. That's right. Feeling any kind of defeat because you got saved and
3: something wasn't happening after, after that, I have good news for you that it doesn't matter how many times
2: you fall, or how many times you fall into weakness, or how many times that happens, God is still, His grace is still sufficient for you. And we can cry out on the mercy of God for grace to move with Him I'm going to ask you all to stand back up again. I want you to pray with me. I want you to pray for the people that are around you, the people that you love, that we would know what God was wanting us to do for this next week. I think we're going to see some shifts and changes in prayer. I think we're going to begin to move in those things we dreamed about. We're going to happen here.
1: Savior. Amen. Amen.
2: new insurgents of faith that's activated The pray for the sick, to pray for the yes. demons of hell that yes. are
1: turning people off, so
3: So go ahead and serve it, and then we'll hold, hold those elements together. But let's worship this one song.
0: Checked it in The Lord Light the road trample on The ground Are You took
3: Three says, Who has believed our report, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He was, he was the one who put him to grief. And when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. This whole chapter, hundreds of years before Jesus came, prophesied exactly who he was and what he would do. And today we celebrate. When we come to communion, we come to the Lord's table. We reach into history and even to the Passover and the exodus of Israel out of Egypt and the deliverance of God's people. For us, Egypt is the world. That's the symbology. And when we come to communion, we are celebrating the brokenness of the Lamb of God and the blood poured out for our sacrifice that is symbolized at the Passover. And we get to say, hallelujah, we're out of Egypt too. We're out of the world. We're in the world, but we're no longer of the world. Our sins are forgiven. Our, our, uh, everything in the past, we took a step just a minute ago, amen, leaving the past behind. That's all it takes is one step to draw the line. And let the redemptive power of God bring us back into wholeness and in the pouring out of his blessing. Lord, this morning we thank you. You have a plan for us today. You've made that plan from ancient days, and today you implement it, and we receive it in Jesus' name. Well, Lord, as we have taken the moment here, this, at your leading today and confessed our sin, we say to you, Lord, we are always falling short. We are continually and regularly sinning and causing your blessing to stop flowing in our direction. But Lord, this morning we repent and we ask for the grace as we already have. Once again, we ask for the grace to repent, to agree with you and to say yes with you and to receive all that you have for us. Lord, this morning as we hold these elements in our hands, we recognize the broken body of Jesus. We recognize the blood poured out. We acknowledge and speak that Jesus is Lord. And you told us as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup that we show forth your death until you come again. Lord, we anticipate your arrival. We thank you for its eminence. We bless your name for coming again. We thank you for not leaving us orphans. Lord, we would pray for more time that other sinners would be converted to you. That the unbeliever will come to know truth and be set free as well. Lord, we don't ask for our own benefit that you would come tomorrow. We pray for time. Lord, we pray for an urgency about your kingdom. Light a fire in us today to speak truth to those who are lost. In Jesus, you receive the glory. Let us lift you up that all men might be drawn to you and not to us hallelujah the night that jesus was betrayed he took the bread he blessed it he broke it he gave it to his disciples he said this is my body do this in remembrance of me let's do that lord i pray for an unleashing of healing from the purchase price of your stripes today Lord, I pray for a loosing of mental stability and a driving back of the enemy's attack on our minds by the stripes, by the crown of thorns, by the blood that put over our minds. We receive it today in Jesus' name. Jesus took the cup and he said, Drink all of it. This is the blood of a new covenant. As often as you do it do it in remembrance of me let's celebrate jesus holy spirit strike into our hearts this comment for such a time as this holy spirit engrave it upon our minds that you have put us here right now for this time. Light the urgency in us. Clarify our focus. Make us fit for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Pass those cups to the aisle and let them retrieve them. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hmm. Hmm. One Night with the King. Is that what the name of the movie is? Yes. A Night a, a night, or One Night? One Night, one night with yeah. the King. Story of Esther. Yeah. How many of you have seen it? Yeah. Wow. It's a movie? You watched it last night. Check that out. Walking in the Spirit, man. Walking in the Spirit. Walking in the Spirit. Glory of God. Come. Glory of God come. Oh, for a minute I thought you put me on the timer. <laughs> well, man, I got four minutes to preach. <laughs> I better get with it. Hit with it. Hallelujah. Yeah, for, for those of you that came in late, I get an extra hour, right? There's a parenting simulcast that we'll be doing here in the sanctuary next weekend there's some little half sheet flyers there I think maybe there's something going to show up behind me here and uh, you're definitely invited I may be out of order and I may be um, taken to task by the administrator but I think if you're a parent and you want to be in the simulcast and you don't have the bucks, you just show up and Ed will pay for it <laughs> I mean, uh, we we really did want to provide this to parents. If, even if you're not a parent, you're a grandparent, you want to get a little brush up. <clears throat> or maybe some of us older ones who are saying, well, that's behind us for now. Maybe we should w- volunteer to watch all the kids for the parents. Huh? Well, I didn't get a rousing response on that. <laughs> Come on, we could do that, couldn't we? We could be grandparents for a day and, and cover all the little kids and uh, maybe run them off to the park or something and let the parents have the simulcast. In freedom. Anyway, we should negotiate some of those things as a body. We're a family, right? And so, but if you want to be in that revolutionary parenting, George Barna, Jim Burns, John Townsend, Stephen Valerie Bell. That's going to be a great day, eight thirty to two thirty. And uh, we just want to bolster the parents and the families. Okay, so this is for you. It's a gift. We didn't schedule it. That's when it has to happen on that Saturday. It is happening across the nation all at once on simulcast. So we're joining in with them. Hallelujah. And next weekend, uh, Pastor Richard Murungi from Kenya will be with us. Do you want to speak to that at all? I mean, do you, you give us a picture of who Richard is? He's been here before, and yeah. we're excited to have him back. Yes.
4: Well, Richard's kind of preacher that preaches with a prophetic God's given him a message for the churches in America, and, and so he's excited about coming. He's a principal of the Harrisfield Field Christian Bible School, in the Bible College there. He is a pastor of the church. He's overseer of the district. He and his wife teach in the Bible College, and he heads up a master's and bachelor's program. And... Um, and, oh, yeah, he has kids. Yeah. yeah. two small children, wonderful kids. And he's going to be a wonderful blessing not only for you to come back, but uh, for others to join us that weekend that they are not here this weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, to see uh, the church packed Saturday night and Sunday. Because I really believe that God's bringing the messenger from 20,000 miles away to, uh, to speak to us. And, and then uh, following Wednesday, he'll be in Lucy and Church's subgroup will combine right on that Wednesday. And then uh, on Monday night, he'll be with Tommy and Owens. But Tuesday, he'll have openings for subgroups on Tuesday. And he has openings for subgroups on Thursday.
3: So, I'm going to be picking them up on Saturday, it's going to be wonderful to have them here with us. Amen. Amen. So, some of you Tuesday, Thursday cells, or even others, could uh, combine some cells together and hang out with uh, Pastor Morungi. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 9. There are so many passages that we could preach after a service that's happened like this this morning. That it's uh, always kind of a temptation to stray from what's already in print, you know. We could run off and preach the book of Esther this morning. That'd be good. Thinking of passages, many passages. Isaiah 53, we read that. 55, 56, 58. All of them are pertinent to what the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church. Woke up this morning and op- I had stuck my notes in my Bible last night. And when I opened it this morning, I had randomly, of course, randomly stuck them in Jeremiah chapter 3. And uh, when I went to pull my notes out, the Holy Spirit was just. You know, I have this highlighted in my Bible, but, you know, he can sort of make your highlighter look neon. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Boy. In uh, chapter 3, chapter 5 also, this one verse just lit up. Your iniquities have turned these things away, and your sins have withheld good from you. And God calls us to Repent. Sometimes we see it as a chastened child, <clears throat> we see it as a as a punishment you know as a as a God kind of is bringing his retribution on us when that is not his heart at all. His heart is to get you right so the blessing can flow amen he, He's not looking to whack you on the head or smack you on the wrist or ruler your knuckles or whatever you think of when you think of God. Uh, in the sense of so punishment he 's into discipline next week, parents are going to hear about discipline versus punishment i 'm sure I hope because uh, i 'm one of those proponents of disciplining your children, not punishing them. Punishment is when you get mad and you take out your wrath on them, and you punish them they don 't learn from punishment; they just get hurt, but when you discipline them, you shape the character, you shape the nature, you form the spirit without breaking it. When God comes, Hebrews talks in chapter 12 about God disciplining his children. He disciplines those he loves. He scourges every son that he receives. When you're disciplined by God, you should be smiling, saying he loves me. I'm not fatherless. And he's got a plan for me. He's bringing me into a a position where the blessing can begin to flow. I don't know what all is entailed in his blessing, but I certainly want it. Don't we? So, Lord, we invite your discipline. Ooh. (laughs) We are afraid of your punishments. His judgments are righteous. His judgment is true. He is the just judge of all men. And if he wants to bring judgment, he can. With Saul and the, you know, that's why you're so weary of reading the Old Testament at times. Because you see a lot of judgment happening and you go, man. This is awesome. This is an awesome God. And we talk about fearing God. Sometimes we interpret it incorrectly and saying, oh, you know, run around and be afraid of Him. He is to be reverenced. He is to be held in awe and He should be feared. But that fear is this super abundant reverence for Him that says, bring it on. You're God, I'm not. Discipline me, shape me, form me, prepare me to be a receptor of Your blessing. And then, It gets poured out from us to others. And we share it not to keep it. The more you give it away, the more you have. Amen? The great paradox of God. The more you give, the more it comes. You know, I am challenged. And I just want to let you know I feel very confirmed. I have a note in my pocket. I've been carrying it for three days. About giving something to somebody else. It's not somebody that frequents here. It's just a person in our community that at one time in their life blessed this congregation quietly and secretly. They just snuck in here and they blessed you and you still don't even know it. And I thought, I need to bless them back. I had no idea of Purim and giving the halves and all that, but now I'm very excited. I had put his name down in my heart. I shared it with uh, those in our cell group And I thought, what will I do? Well, someone in my cell group went and told him that I was thinking about him. And two days ago he called me. And I thought my phone rang and here it is on my phone message. I thought, Ah, this is it. This is the moment. This is the timing of God. And so I said, God, I'll put the note in my pocket, say, When am I gonna do this? When am I gonna bless? How am I gonna do it? There it is right there. It's just a name and a phone number. How's it and now I know it's tomorrow. Just, I mean simple things, huh? God's on the throne Amen. and somebody's gonna get blessed because Purim came along. I didn't know that, but he knew that. And uh, now I know that there's more coming. Thank thank you. Thank you. Anybody want to get in? Can I am not gonna sell you my blessing? Hey, can you just stop for a moment, say everybody say happy birthday, Julie Whaley? Today is Julie's birthday. Yay! It might be somebody else's birthday, but I, I didn't know that until someone told me in the parking lot. You never have to guess when it's Shirley Hasey's birthday, though. She'll let you know. She celebrates her own birthday more than anybody I've ever seen. She is, she's such a fun person. Yes, ma'am. We might we might need to do this. I'm sorry, simply because they got a recording going
2: already. A member of our cell group, Michelle, came up to me and said, Hello, we need to seed in to um, acquire the fire. Our cell group needs to send at least one person." And I agreed with her. And I'm sitting here, and the Lord showed me that I need to sponsor somebody for this parenting thing. So if you need if you need that kind of assistance, I'll pay for a couple to come here. I'm not sure if I can babysit yet, but um, (laughs) I will donate the 25 bucks for you to be here. Good. Hello,
3: God moves. All right. Luke chapter 9. Get fit and stay focused. Some of you might think the title comes from my... uh, Closeness to Janina when she was part of Curves. (laughs) Get fit. But that's not it. Get fit and stay focused. We're going to start 9.57. Now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. These three candidates for discipleship illustrate the demands that are involved in following Jesus. Jesus uses this moment to teach and instruct us in discipleship, followership of who he is. And the word fit is what brought me to this passage. I want to be fit for the kingdom. How about you? I want to be fit for the kingdom. Fit means well-placed well-adapted and ready for use. The problem at the end of these three illustrations, these three moments of teaching along the road with Jesus is that he uses the word negatively. He says, in this case, a person would not be fit. And it occurred to me, what would it mean to be fit for the kingdom? Let's roll it over the other way. How could I be fit for the kingdom? We want to be fit for the kingdom. Amen? And so... These three incidents teach us, and we can learn from them this morning. The first one, if you see it clearly, this is how I see it. Maybe I should read it differently. You know, tonal inflection with the Scripture is difficult at times because we weren't there to hear how it was said. But let's draw the picture for a moment. Now, it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, there was no question. There was no Jesus question first. This person volunteered this information. Someone said to him, I always have to dance to the cell phone thing. In just a moment, I'll have your attention back. It's in jacket.
1: It's in this jacket. This is Ed.
3: Well, let me answer it for him. Maybe it's, it might be his wife. You know? Okay. He was a... He was—he just left to go out of town. He's leaving. That's great. Oh, he didn't leave yet. I've got his keys. Oh. He <laughs> it is a family unit. That we have here. I don't know how we're going to remaster that if we have to on the CD. But all right. A little rewind. (laughs) Rewind. I'm just going to read it again. Now it happened. (laughs) As they journeyed on the road. I'm sweating my own cell phone right now. How about you? Anybody else? Where's my (laughs) It happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said, Lord, hey, I'll follow you wherever you go. I mean, in the moment, there was this emotional enthusiasm that rose to the surface and bubbled over. It wasn't prompted by that we have anything here, that Jesus said, hey, what do you think? Let me hear a response from you. This guy's just walking on the road, and he's with Jesus, and he's with the guys, and things are happening, and he, hey, and it just flows over. I'll follow you wherever you go. Now, this answer that Jesus provides, I would be surprised if 80% of us could say, I get it. He turns to him, this guy's enthusiastic. He's bubbling over. He's excited. And Jesus says, foxes have holes. Birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What kind of an answer is that? What is he saying? Do you understand it immediately? Does it grasp you? Imagine you're the guy. I'll follow you. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. The Son of Man has nowhere know where to lay his head. What is he trying to tell me? And that's what we should ask. What is he trying to tell us? <clears throat> Here's a guy that's having an emotional moment. Have you ever had an emotional decision about Jesus you are in a responsive moment, and you, know, you think about a choir of the fire when these youth go, and the music's rocking, and the, and the Holy Ghost comes down, and then they make an altar call. I mean, a, an arena empties out to the altar. But the, the difficulty is then when all those youth pastors and all those youth leaders and all those sponsors go home, how to keep that fire burning, right? Because youth can be extremely emotional. Again, right, we swing, boy, we're going to just conquer the world. Uh, but then, ten minutes later, we got a headache, and it doesn't count anymore because well, that was in the past, ten minutes ago. And now, and Jesus is saying, look, if you haven't counted the cost of what it means to follow me, don't get too excited yet, because. You might want to just get on the rush of what's happening. You see this walking down the road. Life is happening. Jesus is pouring out his life to those around him. People are being healed. This is an exciting time. And I'm in. I want to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, look, I don't have anything to offer you. Foxes have a place to live. Birds have a place to live. I don't even have a place to live. I have no material blessing for you. I have nothing in this life that you're looking at to give you or to excite you or to pump up your emotions and keep you going the way you're thinking. I have a challenge. You know, later on, I'm you know in this passage, in fact, he has made the final turn to Jerusalem. He's going to the cross as this is happening. He's on his way from north to south. He's making his final journey of discipling people along the road, and that road leads to the cross in Jerusalem. I'll follow you wherever you go. I've said it. Haven't you? Many altar calls or uh, times in cell meetings. and Let's pray. Uh, Yeah, me too. I'm in. Everybody in. One, two, three, Jesus. (laughs) And then next week, a little flare-up comes. A little persecution happens. Life, you know, the check comes late. The bills aren't paid. The marriage isn't flowing like you think it should. Uh, What else could I pick on, right? Something comes up and we're like that flower that springs up and then the sun melts it and it withers away and tomorrow it's gone. Our emotional enthusiasm really is not enough to hold us in discipleship mode with Christ. When we're called on to abandon our material securities, as Jesus had. Let me say it again. When we're called on to abandon our material security. <clears throat> now we count the cost. <clears throat> I'll follow you Jesus. As long as it's like this. But when the tough times come. Didn't Jesus turn to his own disciples and say. Will you go away also? Hmm? There in the garden of the Gethsemane they come. And Judas plants the kiss on Jesus. Cheek and everybody's running. What about us? We need to be careful to understand that it's great to be emotional. It's great to have all of your being tied into the decision you're making. But it's not enough for discipleship. The second one. Now Jesus approaches someone else and says, Follow me. Let me... Let me go first bury my father. Let the dead bury their own dead. You go and preach the kingdom of God. This second one teaches that the followers of Christ have an urgent task. The urgent task of proclaiming the good news of life in Him. And we are often stumbled by what's happening here in our own walk of discipleship because this relates to procrastination let me first go do this i want to do that yes but first i'm going to just i'll do that later let me go but let me pick a noble task i need to go bury my father What does that mean? His father's not necessarily dead in the passage. It's that he's still alive and he needs to go and live with his father and live out his father's days and properly give him his honor at death and burial and do what's proprietary. He's he's talking about an honorable task. And we could veer off on that and I could give you an opinion on that, that I think we do have the responsibility to take care of our parents in their old age. And so it's a noble thing he talks about. But Jesus says, listen, let the You know, the spiritually dead bury their natural dead. There's an urgency about this discipleship. If you're going to follow me and you're coming along with me on this road, let urgency press in on you and forget the procrastination. How many times have I said, you won't know the answer to this, so ask yourself the same question. You won't know the answer to that either. How many times have I said, oh, boy, the day just got away and I really didn't pray like I wanted to but tomorrow and yeah, I'm going to and you found yourself at the end of the next day saying a similar thing or maybe you're on the through the Bible in a year program and you you know, you're, you open your Bible to where you're at and you notice that it's in February and today's March and you think oh what happened well you took on the life of old Sally putting it off and procrastination got in on you. You have great intentions, but what's the phrase that people say? The road to hell is paved with good intentions. And I'm not here to condemn or to lay a heavy on you or to put a pressure or some kind of a legalistic wrap around your mind. I'm just saying that in this illustration, in this moment of life-giving teaching, Jesus says, follow me. Your heart says yes, doesn't it? Yes, Lord, I will follow you. But some things do get us And we start to procrastinate Lord I've got to do this You know I need to take care of that I'm going to do that just as soon as I And we have these phrases And these things that run up And the enemy would love to just fan that into flame And say yeah wait till later Don't be affected for Jesus today Wait till later And tomorrow Never comes And then the enemy jumps on that Like white on rice man Amen. He sits on your shoulder and reminds you You said, you said, you said And condemnation begins to crush you Paralyze you And keep you from ever attempting to do that again In fact, you might even resolve never to make a verbal promise to God again You're going to find all the scripture that says don't make vows And you're going to fulfill those Wow You getting the message? Procrastination steals the urgency of the message of the kingdom. And that's what Jesus said. Listen, let your procrastination be put to rest. You get busy. And he says, preach the kingdom. That's what the directive is. Preach the kingdom of God. The first message Jesus preached was what? Repent. We heard that today. The kingdom of God has come near you. When he said his 70 out, we sent the 12 out. He said, go out preaching. The kingdom of God is is here. The kingdom of God has come among men. Jesus said, there's an urgency about preaching the kingdom. Quit procrastinating. Get busy preaching the kingdom. Now, we can't lay it off on this guy completely. I have to wear this. If I want to be a disciple of Jesus, I need to wear this. Not in some, again, legalistic, binding kind of of, uh, contract that, okay, I've got to preach the kingdom. But I need to understand and you need to understand clearly that things in this world are not getting better. I mean, the the world is looking pretty poor these days, isn't it? And that means opportunity for the kingdom of God to flourish. This is our moment to be salt and light and walk in truth and demonstrate that the peace of God can rule in our hearts and minds even in the most difficult circumstances. The world's going to press on us too, but we don't have to out of the tube. (laughs) We don't have to break under pressure. We can bring hope and life, and we can preach that the kingdom of God is among men today. And because of that, we're here as those who share. Third, another one then says, volunteers, you have to imagine with me, didn't he have access to the first two exchanges? Wasn't he in the crowd? Isn't he trying to stay close enough to Jesus that whatever Jesus just said or did, he watched it happen? And he saw the first guy, oh, I'll follow you. Hey, count the cost. You, follow me. Maybe this guy was standing right next to that guy or Jesus said, follow me. And he says, maybe he leaned back and said, whoa, he's not pointing at me, is he? <laughs> no. Or maybe he was the other guy who was leaning up. Well, I hope he's pointing at me. Follow me. And he hears this exchange. And then he comes to his own conclusion. He says, Okay, I get it. Lord, I will follow you. I will. These other two guys haven't done well in this exchange, but I will follow you. But let me just go home and say goodbye to my friends and my family first. And Jesus is hardcore here. I mean, he's not like me. I'd say, please do that. Go home and say and You know, write, have a nice dinner and write notes and make sure you got everybody's cell phone number and email address. He's not like me. I'd say, please do that. Go home and say, and, you know, write, have a nice dinner and write notes and make sure you got everybody's cell phone number and email address and, well, you know, and I'll just wait for you at the corner. I I would say that. Jesus doesn't say that. He says, No one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, this isn't about losing your salvation. This isn't about backsliding. This has been interpreted that way over the years. This is about Jesus declaring who's fit, fitness, who's well-able, who is well-placed, who's well-adapted, who's ready for use. I shared this message last night, of course, and then many of you know Bob Thiessen Bob came to me and said, He shared a story with me, and I, and I told him I was going to tell you this this morning. I said, Bob, you can tune in online and hear me quote you. And he says, I grew up riding on a tractor and plowing rows. I I came from farmland too, and it's one of my favorite things to do is to ride along in the car as the rows go by when they're so straight, right? And maybe got a little growth like this. And we have it all over in, here in California, Coachella and up north. And, you know, it's just great to drive through the fields and see if all those lines go <laughs> by your car. And when you just, if you stop and look how they kind of fan out, and I just love this sight. Bob says, I said, don't you ever ask how they get them so straight? Bob told me how they did it. He said, his dad would come out and mark off the distance from the edge of the field in, and he'd make the mark. And then he'd go all the way to the other end of the field. In this case, they had half-mile rows. That's a long ways. A half a mile down, and his dad would step off the same distance in. Then they had this big pole with a big red uh, marker on it, and he'd plant that pole. And then from that pole at the other end, he'd mark off one more row, mark where to start, and then he'd come back to this end and plant another pole with the big red thing on it. And then you'd get in the tractor at the starting point, and you—you guys ever ridden on a tractor? Come on, you've seen them. We're not agricultural people, but out on the hood, it's a little—used to be a little water thing but the, or a flap for exhaust. But there's a little round thing out on the hood, and you'd take that round thing and you'd line it up with that big red dot on the other end and go. Bob told me about the story about the first time his dad said, "You do the first row this time." I said, great, Dad, no problem. And, uh, you know, you set the plow and you get the right depth and then you chug your way to the little dot at the other end. Well, Bob was driving and he'd want to check the plow, make sure it's okay. Look up and he'd check the plow, make sure it's okay. He got to the other end and his dad was furious. Because every time he'd check the plow, his tractor's wandering off like this. Hey, you know how it works on the double yellow line. You and I, have you ever done that? Driving along and you're looking at something Pretty soon your tires are going (laughs) because you're off the road or or you look the other way and you're looking like that and then you look up and you're on the wrong side of the line. Anybody? I did it out of Baldwin one year. I came just in from Lucerne Valley and came down around before all the houses were built there in Baldwin and it used to just be a lot of the old rackety shacks from the old gold mining days and stuff. And I I was looking out there and I looked up and I got both tires on the wrong side of the line. Three cars are coming right at me. Well, I swerved back over, and wouldn't you know it, the third car was black and white. <laughs> and so I just smiled, and I pulled over. And I looked in the rearview mirror. Sure enough, you turn, here he comes. I was just waiting. There was no argument. It was a big fine. Went on my record. Why? Because I put my hand to the plow, and I started looking around. Bob says, You know, look, the rows are like his dad. He told me his dad finally said, Forget those rows. We're not even going to just leave them. We're starting over. (laughs) And he stepped off again and they planted the poles. He said, Now this time, take the little ornament on the hood, put it on the red dot, and don't take your eyes off of it. And for a half a mile, he got a straight line. He was trained. Jesus is pretty much saying the same thing in this day. He's saying when you put your hand to the plow, if you look back, if you're always thinking about what you used to have, you call the discipleship is a call to surrender. It's a call to letting go. It's a call to that step you just made this morning when Shelley said, take that step now and leave that behind. Walk into the new. You're stepping into discipleship. Jesus... I believe that Jesus shows us and defines that discipleship is an apprenticeship to himself. It's an apprenticeship to himself as the master teacher. And the fortunate part of that is that we have the Holy Spirit to reside within who will bring us into absolute agreement with our leader, with our discipler. We can get our nose in his back, walk like him, talk like him, live like him, allow him to live through us. If we put our hand to the plow and look back, we're not really well-placed yet. We're not well-adapted yet. We're not fit. We want to be fit. We want to be salt and light. Luke covered it. Matthew covered it. Chapter 5. You know when salt loses its saltiness, same word is used. He said it's not fit for anything except to be thrown out into the street and trampled on by men. We don't want to lose our saltiness. We want to be fit, well able, well placed, ready for use in his kingdom. Discipleship does call us to forsaking much of the stuff we have. And when you live in a world that's all about stuff and getting more stuff, it's funny to hear people talk about their stuff and how they have to have a place to keep their stuff they actually call it that my stuff and there's songs been made in humorous comedy routines all about stuff we need to sacrifice and, and forsake personal ambitions and take up the ambition of the kingdom why Because people are going to hell if we don't. There is an urgency for your neighbor. There's an urgency for the person that's standing in front of you and looking lost and feeling the pressure of life and having no peace, and you stand readied with the answer. And isn't it Peter that reminded us that we should always be ready to give an answer to every man that asks of us a reason for the hope that's in us? How does that happen? Has anybody ever asked you why you have such hope? Do you look like you have hope? Uh huh. Sometimes when the whole world's sliding downhill and you're standing there smiling, I mean, only a couple things could be happening. Somebody's going to think you've got something they don't have, or you ate something that's not agreeing with you. Let's make a mask. Why, do you have, why are you so hopeful? Didn't you read the paper? And then my answer is no. That's why I'm so hopeful. <laughs> you know, where my focus is, stay fit and stay focused is the second piece of this. Where your focus is, that's where you're going to be occupied. If you're getting all your input from the LA Times or the Wall Street Journal or U.S. News World Report or ABC, NBC, CNN, and if that's all you feed on, you're not going to have much hope either. Because that stuff will tear your hope apart. I mean, you'll just be talking like everybody else around you. you go, man, it's coming to nothing. Well, again, it's their fault and it's their fault. and It's his fault and it's her fault. and It's never my fault. But it's all those other people and the world's coming to an end and I've got to live here. This is terrible. And who are you? You're no hope. Where's your focus? Look at a little earlier in this same chapter... I mentioned that Jesus had just turned for Jerusalem. Verse 51, It came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus had a focus. When you read the, uh, the Gospels, you'll find it was at this point when Jesus in the north in his own town Uh, if you will, his own area, Galilee, up north, and he, he makes the final turn to head for Jerusalem and the cross. It's when he starts talking to his guys all along the way, as is happening here, but he turns to his own disciples and asks them, who do men say that I am? They say, well, some say you're John the Baptist, risen from the dead. Others say you're a prophet. Others say this. Others say that. And then what does Jesus say to them? Who do you say that I am? Why, why does he take them through this course of discussion? It's because he's bringing them to a finality in their own heart and mind and spirit that says, "You are the Lord, and you are the disciple maker, and we are your disciples." And disciples live out the teachings and the lifestyle of the discipler. You're the one. Peter answers, "You're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. You're the Christ. You're the you're the one to come." And and Jesus affirms him, says, "Yeah." And on that rock, Peter, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He brings them closer and closer on his journey to Jerusalem in discipleship and and surrender to who he is. And we can take that to its end and understand that all of those guys died martyrs' deaths. What does that mean? That means that all of them were so convinced that Jesus was the Son of God that they willingly gave their lives for that truth. And that's what the word "martyr." Martyr is, Martus, a witness, somebody that's got enough goods to be the witness to the truth. And when they were called on the mat and said, Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God? And they said, Yes, and they were going to kill you for that. And they said, Then kill me, because it'll always be the truth. And I will die for truth. Discipleship, following Jesus, stay focused. Jesus was steadfastly set his face fixed on the goal, fixed on garnering the prize of you being in His kingdom. Hebrews chapter 12, 2, after that great chapter 11 of the faith chapter, it says to us that we are to look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, right? Who for the joy was set before Him, despised the shame, but He went on to the cross. We're supposed to look to Him. This word, looking to Jesus, afarao, means... To, away from, to see. It's a compound word. Away from, to see. What does it mean? Looking. It's so simple for us. We're just looking. We're just looking. Isn't that what you say when they ask you the department store, can it help you find anything? No, I'm just looking. That just means you're wandering and you don't need help doing that. You're just gasping, looking around. That's not what this word means. This word means you away from everything else. You clear your mind. You look away from everything else that's yelling for your attention so that you can see Jesus clearly. You're focused. You put your fingers in your ears. You close your eyes to the world. You turn off the TV, the news, the reading, the stuff, the everything else that pounds at you for your attention. You look away from everything else so that you can see Jesus. Now the promise of 3 John is this, when we see him, we will be like him. Now I know that's a futuristic promise. It's a prophetic moment that says when we're in his presence and when he comes, we, don't, we haven't yet seen him as we should, but when we see him, we'll be like him. And we know that's a futuristic talk. I believe, though, every time I get a good square glimpse of Jesus now, I'm transformed into his image. So I have to look away from everything else. There's an admonition here. Looking to Jesus. Get focused. And then stay focused on what the mission is. You know, the guys here in Luke chapter 9 sort of lost their focus. Let's. We've had 51. We've had 57 to 62. Let's get the middle piece here. Jesus steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him. Because his face face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? See, in verse 1 of this chapter, he sent out his 12 and he gave them authority over demons and to cure diseases, and they had tremendous results. Demons were fleeing. People were being set free. People were being healed. The dead were being raised. They came back and reported that to Jesus. They knew what it meant to have the authority and power of Jesus. And when they were rejected by the Samaritan village, they said, well, let's just toast them. (laughs) Jesus, I mean, they might have just been flexing, you know. (laughs) Jesus, we got the goods. You gave them to us. You want us to do what Elijah did? Smoke those Samaritans. Jesus' answer, he rebukes them. He turns to them and he rebukes them. And he says, you don't know what manner of spirit you are. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And so they went to another village. Get fit, stay focused, and stay focused on the nature of our mission. We have to live on mission. We need to live on mission. We don't just live like the rest of the world floating downstream with what's happening. We need to recognize the season we're in, the calling of God, the announcements of the Holy Spirit to the church. The confirmations of His leading and guiding are taking us somewhere to be some people, His people. And He has sprinkled us like salt throughout this community for an effect. We're called to be salt and light in our community. We're not called to stay in the salt shaker. We're not called to stay on the candlestick. We're supposed to have the bushel off and let the light on. We don't want our salt to get unsalty and become unfit. We don't want to put our hand to the plow and keep looking back thinking yesterday was better. Now is our time. This is our opportunity to shine and to make people thirsty for Jesus and to bring answers. The same authority He gave the the, the 12, He gives to you go lay hands on the sick they don't have to be christians for you to pray for them come on jesus healed people that weren't followers of him That's right. jesus heals the guy that four friends lets down through the roof i mean the guy didn't ask for much he didn't he couldn't he's a paralytic he didn't even necessarily get there on his own volition <clears throat> the friend said hey jesus is over there let's go get louie And drag him over here and tear the roof apart? I mean, the guy's paralyzed. What are they doing? I don't even know this. What's happening? And Jesus just acts and heals and delivers and strengthens. And we have the same moment in front of us to be filled with life and hope. Next time somebody says, I just feel so bad, why don't you just grab them and pray for them? You know, I've asked people all throughout my Christian experience if I could pray for them. I've witnessed the people who have told me in one breath they don't believe in God, they don't believe in heaven and hell. But there's something wrong in their life and you're talking with them and you say, man, their life is messed up. I said, so, well, this thing you're going through, you don't believe in God? No. Don't believe in heaven? No. Hell, no. Can I pray for you? Yeah, I wish you would. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my, I've said this before, I'm always astounded. I think who they think I'm talking to. It doesn't matter. So you don't believe in God. That's okay. I do. Would I pray for you? Can I pray for you? Yes, would you please? And you begin to just take a hold of their hands or put your hands on their shoulder or arm around them. Depending on the situation, of course, and then you begin to pray and you look and there's just tears streaming down their face. Why? They don't, they're being touched by somebody who doesn't exist yet in their life. And you just break through darkness. You tear back the blinders the enemies put on them. You set them free. Allow Jesus to use you. We've got a job. We have a mission. We need to live on mission. We need to be urgent. Quit procrastinating. We need to get our hand on the plow and say, okay, there's the red dot. Let's go for a half mile straight furrow of urgency about the kingdom. Quit being distracted, losing our focus. I don't think there's any other reason. Once you're a Christian, there's no other reason for you to be on the planet. To either announce the kingdom or go home. <laughs> Is that radical? Yes, yeah, radical. I mean, what, what are you here for? To make money or to do things or visit the world? or I mean, you are here on mission. You're an ambassador for Christ dress like Him, walk like Him, talk like Him, represent Him everywhere you go. And the, the the good part of that is you get to have an awful lot of fun while you're doing it. Hallelujah. I mean, I've been places in the world that I never thought I would ever possibly go and the only reason I've gone there is because it was kingdom business. That's cool. I mean, you get to enjoy the sights, you get to enjoy the foods and the smells and the things and the people. And, well, I've even been to South Carolina. <laughs> I've even been to North Carolina. And now that's a different country. Well, I hope they don't listen to the recording. I mean, where the language is y'all is just one person, right? And all uh, "all y'all is more than one? All, I mean, you got to get down to language. <laughs> okay, we're off course now. All right, so get fit. Stay focused and stay focused on our mission. Live on mission. Let God use you. I'm going to pray for you that God's going to use you this week. How many of you would be willing? Don't tell me. Tell him. I'm willing. Even maybe with a little hesitance. I'm willing. I'm willing. One of the three here. I'll do it. And then a the thing happens to you, whoo. Now, what, what, would we be willing to follow Jesus? And let him lead us into a moment this week where he says, okay, now, do it, do it. Hey, it's not your reputation that's at stake, it's his. You know what would be fun? Sick person, and you'd say, the Bible says, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. Can I lay hands on you? Yes, and you lay hands on them and you pray and, and they get healed. And you're both going to be surprised. Huh? And you can just jump up and down with them and go, it works, it works, it works. It's not it, it's him. He works. Jesus, we want to allow you to work in us this week. We know that you came to seek and to save that which was lost because you told us that. We want you to help us to build a plan of how to, how to be involved in accomplishing that mission. Lord, would you help us to remain fit? We pray that you would help us to stay focused by looking away from everything else and looking to Jesus. Help us get a good glimpse of you, Lord. We even sang it this morning. We want to see you. We want to hear your voice. We want to see your face. Lord, would you arrange that with us this week? Father, would you come by the power of the Holy Spirit and break down procrastination out of our lives? Break the stronghold in our mind that says it's got to happen later, tomorrow, or the next day. And fire us with your urgency for kingdom business. Lord, then set us up. Corner us if you'd like to. Put us in that moment where it's unmistakable that it's time to speak and act for Jesus. And we pray that you'll give us grand results. Bring us home like the disciples saying, it works, it works. People are set free. Demons flee. Those who are bound are not bound any longer. Those who are weak and forlorn now have hope and joy. Set us up, Lord, and put us into action. Show us that it's possible to live on mission. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, team. Hands in. One, two, three. Jesus. Let's go get them.